verses that kind of dawned on us, you know, that just kind of turned things on for us. We, it, it looks like a country line dance. We get it. And if you want to do a country line dance, you're welcome to do that this afternoon when no one else is here. <laughs> but we're, we're looking at um, several passages that have just been illuminating for us as the preaching staff here. And so we're going to look this morning in Colossians chapter 1. It'll take us a little while to get there, but we're going to get there. Um, and thinking about these uh, series, you know, how do you, how do you reduce the verses that have changed your life to only two verses? Especially with our other ministry, Streams in the Wasteland, Don and I, we've been able to look at a verse and stay there for days, weeks, months, and just meditate on it and allow it to sink into us. And we've just been so blessed with that opportunity that a lot of don't have. But the reality is that you're going to hear what, what ha- has impacted preachers anyway. You listen long enough, you're going to hear the verses that have impacted them because it just kind of bleeds out. You have heard me refer to Psalm 119, verse 68, more than once. Uh, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Uh, it was a life-changing verse for me. Our son had fallen 12 feet, landed on concrete. The doctor said, don't know if he's going to live. Had surgery, and that night in the hospital, I stayed with him. And all I kept hearing, you know, it's kind of like, God, I don't think this is real funny. What's going on? All I heard all night long was a portion of a verse I had heard in a sermon on a cassette tape. For those of you who don't know what a cassette tape is, look at the History Channel, and <laughs> you'll hear about aliens in the future, but keep watching. Um, uh, and a portion of a sermon I'd heard, it, the verse was, Thou art good and doest good. And all night long it kept waking me up, and I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think this is, I don't think this is good at all. But the next day I found that verse, Psalm 119, verse 68, Thou art good and doest good, teach me thy statutes. And that's when I realized that verse just, bing, kind of turned on for me. That until I recognize that God is good and everything he does is good, if I don't have my starting point correct, I will never get to the end point of teach me thy statutes. I will never properly understand the Bible if I don't have a starting point that God is good. And so that was a life-changing verse for me. And and you've heard it uh, over the years, you know, but um, the interesting thing about the, the revelation of the character of God in that verse is he is good. Psalm 119, verse 68, he's good. But here's the deal. I can use any name and somebody will be offended by it. So if you're offended by this name, I'm sorry in advance. I don't need an email. I'm sure he was a terrible person. But Billy Graham, I understand. I never met him, but I understand he was a good guy. The interesting thing, he could be a good guy way over there. You can be good and be remote. And the the revelation of God's character in this Old Testament passage is that God is good. But here's the revelation of God's character in the New Testament passage of 1 John 4, 8. What is it? That God is love. And you cannot love and be remote. Love demands, love impels that we get involved, that we engage, that we become transcendent, that we move across that gap that separates us. And it was the fact that God is love that compelled him, forced him in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And when I started to realize those things and to see those, man, it just changed my life. And I'm how can I leave out Psalm 119, verse 68? But I've already talked about that one so much, so I'm not going to talk about that today. And another one that I'm not going to talk about, you know, we've been pastoring since we were 20 years old. And when you're leading in a church service every Sunday, you kind of know what you're supposed to do. You know where you, you know what's going on. And, but there were those few years where we were not leading every Sunday. And you go to church, and it's easy to sit back and here's the B word, bored. 
where our kids are not allowed to use that word at the house. Oh, you're bored? I can fix that for you. <laughs> Let me line you out real quick. It's easy to get bored and sit back and say, well, I'd have done this that way, and I'd have, I'd have done that one better. And what am I here? What, what am I here for, you know? And as long as we think that we're here for the pastor to feed us, we don't come to church, friends, to be fed, burped, and changed by the pastor. That is not the pastor's responsibility. That is our responsibility. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, I don't, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is our responsibility to, to, take the, to be in charge of the care and feeding of our own souls during the week. And so we come together on Sundays. What do we come there for? And then I found that verse. Changed my life. And you hear it just about every Sunday. You hear an application of it. Hebrews 10, 25. Don't forsake the assembly. Well, how do I not forsake the assembly? Here's how you do it. But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It, you can come to every service and still forsake the assembly if you don't get involved in people's lives. Put your arm around their shoulder and say, how can I pray for you this week? To encourage means to shove courage into them. To put courage into them. And how many times has somebody said, I'm quitting? They'll call you up on Sunday night. I'm done. I'm quitting. Okay, good. We'll quit tonight. Let's just go back to work tomorrow morning, right? And you can't quit because I'm with you. And if you quit, I quit. And I'm not quitting, so you can't quit, right? And everybody needs to hear that every now and then. That's why we encourage you. Infuse them with courage. Place courage inside of them for the week that's ahead, the difficulty that's coming. But in order to encourage them, you've got to know what's going on with them. So we have to be involved. We have to be related to one another. And there are going to be times when we just have to get next to them and say, now look, you, you, there's some things, we're going to do it kindly, quietly, and graciously, but there's some things that just have to be dealt with. And um, I'm going to help point this out to you. You know, I heard this past week, the fish is the last one to see the water. That's weird. It, it is. Everybody else can look and say, well, here's what you're doing. Here's your problem right here. The fish never sees the water. We're standing out here. Well, there's the water. Fish doesn't see the water until they're given a different perspective. And then they go, oh, that's what I've been swimming in. And so we help one another with that. Friends, we come to church. We come to church to be a blessing because if you want to be blessed, you're, you're going to reap what you sow, according to Galatians six seven. Every time you're going to reap what you sow, and you will if you will never reap blessing if all you sow about the church is a curse. Here's how they're doing everything wrong, and this is how they should be doing it better. It says in Proverbs eleven twenty five, it's he who waters who will himself be watered. And we can sit back and say, well, I'm ready for some water. I get it. I get it. Keith Green had a line in a song that said, I'm tired of planting seeds. I get it. But friends, until that comes, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to keep watering. We keep watering others while we ourselves, according to Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3, with joy we draw waters from the wells of salvation. That is our responsibility. We go home and we get, well, he didn't really minister to me this morning. Good, go home and minister to yourself. Get your Bible and read it. Right? I hope that didn't sound harsh to anybody. <laughs> oh, Donna's pointing her finger at me, so okay. Okay, we're back over here. And friends, when people give you encouragement, when they come up to you and put their arm around you, we receive that. And we receive it like cold water, Proverbs 25, 24, like cold water to a thirsty soul because the gospel truly is our good news. Can't leave out Hebrews 10, 25. Can't leave out Hosea 2, 15. Make the valley of Achor a door of hope. 
What in the world is that supposed to mean? How many of you want hope? How many of you want hope? How many of you want to know there's a hope and a future? How many of you, we all want that door of hope, but where is that door of hope found? It's found in the Valley of Achor. You go, what in the world? Where's the Valley of Achor? Let's go there. You've been there. Some of you are there now, and we will be there again. Because the word achor means to disturb, afflict, or trouble. I'm going, well, I don't like those words. I don't like disturb, afflict, or trouble. I got saved so I wouldn't have to be disturbed, afflicted, or troubled. And if there's anything that's happened since I've gotten saved, it's disturbed, afflicted, and troubled. I don't like that. But friends, it's in that valley of disturbed, afflicted, and troubled that we find the door of hope. And how often do we hate the very thing that God has placed in our lives to bring us to a closer relationship with him? Oh, I don't like the valley of the shadow of death. But friends, we forget that it's in the valley of the shadow of death that I'll learn to fear no evil because I meet Jesus there. It's in that valley that I meet Jesus. It's in the valley that his rod and his staff bring me comfort. It's a dark place. It's a scary place. He was heading east out of Jerusalem, running from Absalom, his son, who was out to kill him. And there were people throwing stones on him from the cliff up above. And that night he was scared. I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death. But it's there that your rod and your staff comfort me. It's in the valley, Psalm 23, 5, that you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And friends, all the good that will follow me, And the great place that I will dwell forever, it is in the valley that my head is anointed. It's in the valley that my cup runs over. And how many of you don't like change? I don't like change. Don't move that coffee table. I'm going to get up in the middle of the night for purposes that men of my age get up in the middle of the night for. And I don't want to stub my toe on that thing. I don't like change. But friends, change is a part of it. Churchill said, to improve requires change. To be perfect requires frequent change. I don't like that. It's troubling. It's disturbing. It's off-putting. But friends, it's in the valley of Achor. It's in the valley of Achor that we find the door of hope. And it's because of that verse that I came to understand a little bit better some of those hymns that we sang when I was a kid. Yes, I'd be carried through the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. Oh, I get that a little bit more in that valley of Achor where the door of hope is found. So these are just a few of the verses that I'm not going to preach on this morning. I'm not even going to mention them because that's not the passage I'm talking about. But listen, here's the deal about this. These verses might very well be like Saul on the road to Damascus, that for everybody else it was just a noise. But to Saul, he heard a voice. He heard a word. And they might not speak to you the way they speak to me. And the ones that changed your life may not speak to me the way they've spoken to you. But friends, if they cause you to love Jesus more and desire to serve him better, we receive that as a good thing. Thank you, God. And everybody else just goes, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Let them think that. Let them think that. If it's going to change your life to love Jesus more, then friends, that's that's where we need to be. Amen? So there are some of the verses we're not going to talk on, but we are going to talk on Colossians chapter 1. And we'll still be done in time. What do you think of that? Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And he begins, Paul's writing to the Colossians. He begins in verse 9 and says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul had never met the Colossian Christians. He'd never been there. He had heard about them. And so he was praying for them. Now, here's what he's praying. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Paul wanted these Christians in Colossians to know what God had called them to do. 
He wanted them to know, as God wants each one of us in this room to know, that God has a purpose for your life. There is a purpose for you being here. God does not create anything by accident or happenstance. He creates everything with a purpose. And the purpose of a thing is hidden in the heart of the creator. In order to find the purpose that God has for your life, you're going to have to go to the heart of the creator. And none of us are done with our purpose if you're still able to sit upright and take nourishment. My grandmother was 95 years old when she decided she was done. And if you could get it inside Grandma's box, and she was just mostly blind, macular degeneration, and mostly deaf, and couldn't walk, arthritis, and just in constant pain. She couldn't go to church. Well, she forsook the assembly. No, she didn't. Because being faithful to the assembly is not about being at the building. Faithful to the assembly is that you're involved in people's lives. All this does is give us an opportunity to do that. That's all that this gives us an opportunity to be challenged to do it and a platform in which to practice as to prepare us for what we go out in this next week and do, right? So grandma, she's 95, she can't hear, she can't see, she can't get up and walk around. But if you could get it in her box, her mind was still there. She could pray for you. And the weird thing, grandma, we could yell at her and we could do sign language, you know, and she wouldn't hear it. But my son Jonathan could sit next to her and say, Grandma, Grandma, I hear you. She heard every word, the timbre of his voice. And we, we tried everything. And she just, But Jonathan could sit there and just whisper. And she would understand it. And so if you got it in her box, her question was, okay, how can I be praying for you? Grandma, 95 years old, can't walk, can't see, can't hear, still had a purpose. Don't tell me you don't have a purpose. If you are created, you are created for a purpose. And the purpose of a thing is hidden in the mind of the creator. And in order to find that purpose, we have to be in touch with him. And listen, anything that's created will continue to be in existence until it's created purpose is fulfilled as long as it's as long as its created purpose has not been fulfilled it will continue to exist god created the earth with a purpose and until that purpose is fulfilled the earth will continue to exist and he tells us what that purpose is in isaiah 45 he did not create it to be empty he created it to be inhabited so what that means is that until God's created purpose for the earth is done, it will be inhabited, it will be inhabitable, because that's the purpose. That's the created purpose of the thing. So Paul is asking that these Colossian Christians be filled with his will, the knowledge of his will, because he's going to give us several reasons here. And here's, your, here's, your, here's your an interesting phrase I heard this past week. It said, passion propels purpose. Passion propels purpose. Those two things, passion and purpose, are symbiotically related. If you have passion but no purpose, do you know what they call that? College frat rat. Okay? You're going to be running in every direction without any real sense of, of, of destination or goal in mind. You're just going to be making a thing bad of yourself, right? If you have purpose with no passion, you're just going to languish and sit at home and wonder what's going on. These two things are symbiotically related. Passion propels purpose. And when we find our purpose, dear God, please fill me with the passion to accomplish this thing. He, The purpose that he has placed in you, he has also given you the desire to fulfill it. One way I knew I wasn't called to missions in Africa is I don't want to go to Africa. I don't want to sweat. I have already sweated. I don't want to eat bugs. Don't need to go there. That's one way I knew I wasn't called to missions. And that's okay. For those who are called to go to Africa, take some what do they call that? Well, we'll just go with Tabasco sauce for the bugs. Yeah, here it makes it go down better. But God wants us to know 
Paul is praying, I want you to know what God's will is, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And then he tells us how that's going to happen in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What in the world does that mean? What is spiritual wisdom and understanding? Here's how it works. Here's the simple reality. God wants you to know what he has created you to do because your knowing your created purpose will bring you joy and him honor. And we'll learn what he has created us to do through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And one of the ways that he speaks to us is through spiritual wisdom. Well, look, that's just a revelation from God's Holy Spirit into your heart of this is what you were created to do. I was 9, 10 years old listening to a record of Bob Harrington. Anybody remember Bob Harrington? There we go. Thanks, Shannon. Nobody in the first service remember Bob Harrington. Chaplain of Bourbon Street. Anyway, uh, they were on Bourbon Street for other purposes. Anyway, um, I was listening to Bob Harrington's life story. And at the end of those two albums, I went out back, sat down in the pecan tree in the backyard of the house there in Huntsville, Alabama. And I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. You want me to preach? That's fine. So I thought this was something I could do. I was 9, 10 years old, and I've, I've known that whole time. That that's what God, because he placed that by spiritual wisdom. He spoke that into my spirit. Now listen, anything else that I've done, and I've done a lot of other things. Me and Al Bundy, we sold women's shoes for a while. We've done a lot of other things. Those were an avocation. They were a side business they were not they were not the cause and i've known that my whole life and I, i'm i'm thankful for that i've been interested in a lot of things but god planted that in my soul through his holy spirit now the refinement of the spiritual wisdom has come through understanding and and knowledge and that's what we get from people around us that's what we get from bumping into people and them saying well you're pretty you're better at that than you are at that y'all quit doing that because you ain't no good at that one at all and that's how we we help find out what god has called us to do Listen, it has been, I've been in ministry for 43 years now. We've been pastoring since we were 20. And I've always been frustrated that we hadn't seen more conversions. Now, we've seen a lot of conversions. You know, we've led the Association of Conversions in Southern Utah back in the 80s. But we've never seen the conversions that we wanted to see. My buddy Tommy Kelly can sneeze and people are going to fall under the power. Oh, what do I have to do to be saved? And I can witness that same person until I'm 30,000 years old and they're still not going to get saved. It's always been a frustration for me. But... And I, it's not for lack of effort, I'll tell you. When I was in college, we're going to downtown Birmingham with tracks at the middle of the night on the weekends. Everybody's drunk and doing other kinds of things, and we're out there witnessing. And stop them on the streets, go door to door. When we were in theater, I had this brother, he's 6'9", and he knocks on the door, people answer, you know. And we, we covered every, every house, every door in this area of the church. And it's not for lack of trying, but that just hadn't been something that seemed to attend the ministry that God's given to me and Donna. So... Okay, what does attend that ministry? And we start to hear people coming up to us and saying, you know, I've not heard that that way before. You, you helped me understand that. You caused me to see something in that passage that I've not seen before. And by understanding, by knowledge, we begin to find out what it is that God's called us to do. And so, God, please help us. And would you like to guess what area the devil just loves to attack us in? When we start being told, yeah, you, you, what you said was stupid and wrong and your contribution is unnecessary, it's kind of like, okay, well, that's a bummer. <laughs> you know, That's going to be the area that we get attacked in, so we need to be aware of that. Be prepared for that and not let that get to us. We only do better in that one if that were the case. But there, I got a fortune cookie the other day. Donna's going to frame it. Well, the paper, not the cookie. The paper said, the paper said, blessed is the man who has found his work. Get in on that. Blessed is the man. And if you're sitting here today and you say, I don't have a purpose, that's a lie from the devil. You have a purpose. There is something that God has called you to do. Well, I don't know what it is. Look, let us help you. 
to us get around it. That's right. God, where do you have your hand from? What am I supposed to be doing? He wants to know more than you want to know. So I ask you, please let us help you with that. Tina has so many tests to help you find out all kinds of things. She gifts tests and interest tests and likes tests and dislikes tests. She has a personality test. Do not fail that one. There are all kinds of tests. If you would like help with that, then try, let, let us help you with that. We'll be glad to help you find out what, just give you some direction. And these are things that God has gifted you with. Now, the reason he wants you to know what God has called you to do is because there are some blessings. There are some blessings that accrue to that. In chapter, in verse 10, Colossians 1.10, he says, so as, here's your one of the first blessing, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Listen, the price that has been paid for the life you live, live is to be lived in the purpose he has established for your life. It is a right and good thing to do because it shows honor to the one who has called you. Listen, God's will for your life compels us to get rid of those things that take away from his will and gives us determination toward a vision and a purpose. The maker of the thing has more of a desire for it to work right than the thing. Okay? Now look, I'm just going to I'm just going to at random pick just any vehicle out of the air. I don't know. We'll say a 1984 diesel suburban with a 5.9 diesel engine in it. We're just picking one out of the air. Who wants that thing to run properly more? Me? I mean, this fictitious person who's driving it? Or Chevrolet? When that thing breaks down, once again, just pick wild numbers out of the air. At mile marker 23 on I-15 north at 4 in the afternoon, breaks down, blows up an engine. I, I mean, the fictitious driver is walking to get help. But whose name is written all over the back of that thing? Friends, it's Chevrolet's name. The maker of the thing wants it to operate properly even more than the thing itself because the name of the maker is on it. And friends, when we are not living according to the purpose that God has called us to, we are bringing dishonor to the maker of us, the thing. You want your Yamaha stereo system at the house to work, but it breaks down. That's no big deal. You're going to go to Best Buy and get another one, right? But Yamaha's name is on that thing. And friends, the name that is written on us, the reason that we want to live right, we want to live according to his purpose, is because the name that has been placed on us, this causes us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. When we find out what our purpose is and we're heading toward that. Listen, I got into university, ACT and, and, and grades, barely, okay? My grades in school were kind of, you know, and then something happened. Three years in, I had never seen that letter. I did not know that letter in the alphabet existed, okay? Three years in, something happened. It changed everything. It heightened my focus. It gave me concentration. It gave me a central central desire to get this thing done because the thing that happened three years in was Donna. I got married. Oh, I don't, I don't want to waste my time in school. I want to get this thing over with. I want to get on with the rest of life. I don't want to go spend time with those people anymore. I want to go spend time with that people, right? And in order to spend time with that people, i got to be done with this. And so I got busy about school, and I found out, did you know that there's another letter in the alphabet? Who knew? It's an A. It's right up there at the beginning. And I just skipped over that thing in grades for years, you know. There's an A. I made A's from then on out. Why? 
because I had a reason, I had a purpose, I had a, a vision in front of me, and passion propels purpose. Once we find out where we're going, it brings honor to the one whose name we carry. He said in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, what happens? What does that word perish mean? The people perish. It means they cast off restraint. They're just going to go anywhere they want to go. They have no purpose. And you're never going to end up at the right place if you don't start at the right place and if you don't have something that you're aiming at. There are two things you have to know when you're looking on a map. What are they? Where you are and where you're going. But where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. Let's go backwards to that verse. Where there is a vision, we walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. Second thing that it gives us there in verse 10 fully pleasing to him. You want to live a life that's worthy of, not only worthy of the price paid for you, but also pleasing to the one that paid it. And we've got to find his will for our life and live it. Third thing, bearing fruit in every good work. Jesus talked a lot about fruit the night before his crucifixion. He talked a lot about fruit. John 15, 16, you did not chose, choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. Your fruit will last. His desire is for us to bear fruit. But what Paul is telling us, we're not going to bear that fruit until we know what God's called us to do. Oh, we'll have this thing hanging over here and this thing over here. But Jesus talks to us that night before. And he says, now look, okay, you got some fruit being born here. Here's what I'm going to do. Every branch that does bear fruit, what does he do to it? Oh, we don't like that one, do we? He prunes it. Why? That it may bear more fruit. You know, Donna has those thingamajiggies that cuts the roses, right? The pruning things. I've never stuck my finger in one of those, and I don't intend to. I've stuck my finger in a table saw. That was a whole lot of not, no, not a blessing. Benjamin and I looked at each other and said, we're done. <laughs> That'll mess your day up, you know. I don't want to get that thing cut off. We don't like pruning. We don't like being pruned. But what God tells us, what Jesus is looking at, saying, listen, You've got to let me do this. We planted a peach tree in our backyard like three years ago, something like that. This year, that sucker was cut, man. Branches are hanging, broken. And so I looked up the Google, you know, you look on the Google, and what am I supposed to do? You're supposed to go out there and get rid of those things. They're about inch in diameter. Get rid of half of them at least, throw them away. I don't want to do that. I want more peaches. But if I want peaches that are as large as they can be, as healthy as they can be, as ripe as they can be, you know what i got to do? Got to go out there and get rid of some of those little branches. And Jesus is going to make sure. Listen to what he said, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Friends, bearing, bearing fruit in every good work is the result of knowing what God's called us to do. Fourth thing, look there in verse 10. Increasing in the knowledge of God. You're gonna, we're going to get to know him better. And friends, knowing him, John 17, 3, is the very definition of eternal life. This is eternal life, that you know the Father and the only Son he has sent, Jesus Christ. That is the very definition of eternal life, that we know him. And friends, we grow in our knowledge of God as we know our purpose. And if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, man, we've got to know him. We've got to know his invitation is come. Let's, let's talk this thing out. Let's have a relationship. And here's how we do it. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, it is as simple and as eternal as this. We just come to him in all honesty and say, I did it. I broke your law, and I'm really sorry. Would you please forgive me? Come into my life. Change me. I give you my life. I will do what you tell me to do. Jesus, 
I confess you as Lord, and he will change your life. Increasing in the knowledge of God is the result of knowing his will for our life. Look at what it says in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is number five. How many of you want more power in your life? Raise the blind and give, give sight to the deaf, right? How many of you want more power? How about power for this? How about power for getting along with your spouse? How about power to not traumatize your children any more than is absolutely necessary? You've got to make them fear, put the fear of God in there a little bit, you know. But how about power to, and then he said, I'm going to give you power after the Holy Spirit's come along, and you will be, you will be witnesses. And friends, when your life is sitting on the side of the road and all those cars are fictitiously traveling north on I-15 at exit number 23, and God's name is on the back of your vehicle, you're not bringing him the glory that he deserves. And so he says, I want you to be strengthened with all power that we're going to live a right kind of a life. And friends, whether we plant water or just tend the vineyard, we do it by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And God will use us from here to Cuba, from here to Guatemala, to Japan, to East Africa, and all the way to the coffee shop down the road from our house where we just sit and visit with someone and let them know Jesus saved us. 6 and 7, please. For all endurance and patience. There's a difference between endurance and patience. We're going to look at these two together in verse 11. Endurance, how many of you have found yourself in the valley of Achor? How many of you found yourself in the valley of dis- disruption, agitation, difficulty, and you made it through? That's endurance. That's endurance. How many of you have just been bored? And what do you do when you get bored? That's when you get in trouble. There's an area, there's a zone on our globe. It's right, it surrounds, it's on either side, north and south of the equator. It's where the northern hemispheric weather system meets the southern hemispheric weather system. And between where, where those two meet, it's just kind of this dead area. There's no wind blowing. It's called the doldrums. Anybody ever ask you, do you feel like you're in the doldrums? That's what it is. It's an area of no wind. And in the day of sailing ships, that's a real drag. Because you get into the doldrums, and you're just going to sit there for however long because there's no wind, there's no real current in there. You're just going to sit there for a while. And then finally, somebody's going to throw the lifeboat out. They're going to throw you in it with a bunch of other poor slobs. They're going to tie a rope to the boat and make you paddle the thing through the doldrums. That's when you need patience. Because, friends, in the difficult times is when we need endurance, and the boring times is when we need patience and knowing God's will for our life. The Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was able to look around that cross and see joy on the other side of it. And because of the joy that was on the other side, he was able to endure the difficulty, the agitation, the trouble that was about to come to him because he knew what his purpose was. And friends, when we know what we're called to do, it makes it so we have endurance and patience for the journey that can be difficult and sometimes a little bit boring. It helps us know that there is a harbor toward which we are headed. And then lastly, the last benefit that he gives, the eighth one, there in verse 12, the end of 11 and 12, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 
with joy giving thanks. Friends, there's going to be thankfulness. And there's people that are going to argue, well, if you'll just give me happiness, then I'll be thankful. Now, I could never say the word now. But thankfulness leads to happiness. Some of the happiest people I've ever known are some of the poorest people I've ever known. But they're happy because they're thankful for what they have. They're thankful. And we, we get that backwards. We think if I can just get enough, then I'll be, then I'll be thankful. No, no, right where you are, what can I be thankful for? This is the result. This is the benefit. This is what it means to know God's will. We are with joy going to give thanks to the Father. In November, our newsletter for Streams and Wayfinder and other ministries is going to do nothing but have quote after quote on thankfulness. We've already seen Halloween in the stores, right? That's been in there since like Easter. Um, we see Christmas in there now. You don't see much on Thanksgiving, do you? You don't see much on Thanksgiving. But the importance of Thanksgiving, and so in November we're going to have nothing but one quote after another on the rightness and the benefit and the blessing of being thankful. Cicero said, Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. There's an old French proverb that says, Ingratitude is the root of vice. Every sin is rooted somehow in ingratitude. Man, that's powerful. Don't you want to be more thankful? Don't you want to be better at being a thankful person? Friends, gratitude with joy is the result of knowing God's will for our lives, walking in a manner worthy of Him, that's pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit and knowing Him better, in endurance and power, and all of the things that we've talked about today. These are the results of knowing God's will for our lives. How are you doing with these things? Do you see these things in your own life? Do you want more of them? If so, we'd love to pray with you. We're going to have folks around the perimeter of the building here. We'd love to pray with you after, after the service. If you'd like to know more about what it means to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, if you'd like to know what the Bible, God's Word, has to say about how you can experience forgiveness of sin, we'd love to share that with you. Talk with us after the service. We're going to have a baptism here, and then just let us pray with you. And friends, if you, if you have found yourself adrift, if you have found yourself with plenty of passion but no direction, if you found yourself with all kinds of direction but I'm just tired of trying, friends, let's marry those two back together. Let's marry passion and purpose back together. By knowing this thing, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much that You have not created anything, anyone, any of us without a purpose. That there is a purpose placed inside of each one of us and that purpose is hidden in the heart of the creation. Father, I ask You to speak that to our hearts. Make it real to us so that we can serve You better in Jesus.